Are you a non-native English speaker who wants to speak English more clearly and confidently for professional, educational, or personal reasons? Are you an English speaker who wants to speak another language fluently for any of the above reasons? Our multi-talented and fascinating guest has been helping people do exactly that for almost 20 years. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 446th episode of Admission Straight Talk, Accepted's podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Before we dive into today's interview, I want to mention a free resource at Accepted that can benefit you if you are applying to graduate school. The challenge at the heart of admissions is showing that you both fit in at your target schools and stand out in the applicant pool. Accepted's free download, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions, will show you how to do both. Master this paradox and you are well on your way to acceptance. Download your free guide, accepted.com slash F-I-S-O for fitting in, standing out. Again, that's exhibit.com slash F-I-S-O. It gives me great pleasure to have on Mission Straight Talk for the first time, Dr. Christina Ball. A Fulbright scholar, Dr. Ball earned her PhD in Italian language and literature. In 2004, she founded Speak Language Center to help people learn other languages. In 2012, she co-created BeSpeakEnglish.com, a one-on-one coaching and educational service designed to help international graduate students especially those applying to business school, and working professionals strengthen their speaking and writing skills in the English language. She's also a writer and actress. Let's hear her story and uncover how she can help you. Dr. Ball, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you so much, Linda. It's my pleasure to be here with you. And I'm so glad you could join me. Now, how did you get into language instruction, the business of language instruction, both for speak and be speak? Yes, well, I think it all started with my own passion for languages, my own interest in languages and cultures. My grandparents were uh, both sets, uh, immigrants from Poland and Italy. So I grew up hearing lots of Italian and Polish in the household of my grandparents. And so I think it all started there. And then just in in my own travels and studies, I just fell in love with uh, Italian, French, Spanish, all of the literature and meeting people and hearing their stories and learning about culture. So real love of culture. And um, yeah, so Speak started around, as you mentioned, in 2004. I have an academic background, so I was a college professor before starting my business. Many people in my family have businesses, so I think I definitely have the entrepreneurial (laughs) gene, let's say, uh, as well as the Italian and Polish. (laughs) My mother is Polish. Yeah, I think we we, we had that in common. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I did not pick up Polish, no. I know, no, I haven't learned that yet, but I hope a trip there someday will inspire me (laughs) to learn some. In any case, I was teaching in, you know, at Yale, Wake Forest, and and here where I live at University of Virginia. And then I just started to notice that um, not only my own desire to have my own language center, but people kept asking me, you know, I'm I'm not a student at UVA, I'm an adult, I'm going to Italy, how can I learn Italian? (laughs) 
So I just saw there was a real need for um, a language center. Like you have all over Europe, you'll find private businesses, which are language centers, teaching people all of the languages of the world, right? It's less common here in the U.S. where we tend to rely on universities to teach us, right? So um, 2004, I started a one-room Italian school called Echo Italy. Echo means like voila, or here it is. And I just had about five adult students and me as the teacher. And then over the years, um, demand for Spanish, French, German um, caused us to change the name to Speak Language Center in 2009, add online services. And now we teach 22 languages as well as obviously English. And we just added sign language. So very exciting. Yeah. I used to, I was just talking to somebody who knows American Sign Language. Sign language actually differs in different places in the world. It it does. Yeah, I'm still learning from our from our sign language teachers about about that. But yeah, even within different regions in the U.S., they have different really? signs. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's, <laughs> I hope to to pick up some some signs <laughs> now that we have students learning it here. Right, and I remember uh, our my our eldest son and, and daughter in law when they had their first child. They, they started signing with her, like just very basic things, because they, that way she could communicate before she learned to talk. Of course, she happened to be an early talker, so it was a completely wasted effort. <laughs> um, she yeah, just learned I, how to... Isn't that great? Early. Yeah, a lot of a lot of parents do this with their children, and I, their first children. I have a really smart smart dog, and uh, she knows lots of signs. Like, really? Come and yes, oh no. wow! I think sometimes she, she follows. You know, they follow the visual cues more than they do the sounds, and you know, so it's interesting. And then, yeah, that is interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then B Speak we started in 2012, as you mentioned. Again, a local connection. We have the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business here. We started hearing from some of their own graduate students from uh, different countries, such as China, Korea, and they came to us on their own. I see you do English now. Can you help me? I'm struggling in my class or I'm not getting um, internship or job interviews. Can you help me? So eventually we connected with the leaders at Darden and created the pilot program for B-Speak or Business Speak. Um, Also, it was initially called B-E-Speak, which is like, you know, a bespoke suit, which means to Right, right. But we changed it to B-Speak because it was easier to understand, but we still focus on customizing each course to the students' native language and their challenges. So it all started with Darden, and we created um, our one-on-one coaching course and curriculum to support business students and help them with, you know, all of the challenges they might face. And um, yeah, then we eventually opened it up to different business schools, businesses, and individuals. So... Well, it's actually, this is my next, next question. Can you tell us a little bit more about the more common language-related challenges that international students face in the U.S.? And then we'll get to the more custom parts. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Sounds that's very interesting. Yeah, because it's a little bit of both, right? <laughs> right, sounds we like all, it is. <laughs> we all need a suit, but we all have different styles and, and body shapes, and which is the beauty of right. language and, and, and humanity. Uh, yeah, so there are some common uh, challenges that all international clients that we work with face. I would say uh, one is um, the lack of confidence uh, in speaking English in different contexts. Another one is understanding 
native speakers of English and being understood themselves. And the third one is, I would say, American culture, if they haven't lived here, worked here, studied here, and the familiarity with American culture, also our idioms, like, are we on the same page? Let's cut to the chase. And um, small talk. Making small talk is, is another. We're going to get to some of that later. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, those are common ones. Uh, all of them are. Um, yeah, for native speakers too, right? Some, you know, as you mentioned, I right. do acting because sometimes I'm, you know, I've always been, I was very shy as a child and lacked the confidence as a public speaker. So acting really forced me, forces me to get on the stage and do what really frightens me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And then, of course, the challenges that you face, though, would be would be for international students studying the U.S., but they would also be faced by Americans going abroad for work or or study or pleasure, for that matter. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. In terms of yeah. confidence, knowledge of the, the native culture, idioms, exactly. etc. And we since we, we, we tend to focus on adult education, adults meaning 18 and, and up, um, confidence. A lot of people think, oh, I'm terrible at learning languages. I was always bad at Spanish. And, and so that, that, you know, that's the kind of mental attitude that we try to change <laughs> through our approach, which is focused on, you know, share, sharing meaningful content and, and talking about what, you know, what interests the individual and, and what, what their passions are, and what their motivation is. So let's go back to, to B-Speak. How does yeah. B-Speak help students mostly? or anybody, any of its students, meet the three challenges that you just, just laid out. Yeah, so for let's talk about confidence first. That's a, a huge one. And when students sign up and they have to say, list their challenges on the registration form, that's always one that I would really? say that 90% of them list. Yes, for sure. And um, so how do we help them build confidence? Well, I, th- I would say, first of all, by developing a sense of trust between the individual and their coach. All of our coaches are expert teachers and very nice people and very patient and, and warm. So I always look for that in in my coaches. And so what they create on Zoom uh, in their video conferences is a safe space. So the student and their client feels like they are able to make mistakes uh, in their English and their word choice, and they won't be criticized. They'll be corrected and supported and taught how to do it. So I think that is, um, you know, that that trust relationship. All of our students say that 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 really helped them. Oftentimes, our teacher is the first person they meet before, you know, as they're applying to business school or before they start a new job or business school. So um, that's their their real confidant and their coach. That's why I like the word coach, even though we're all teachers, right? Um, and then we also give them lots of practice. So practice your elevator pitch, practice your job interview, your admissions interview. So that builds confidence, right? When you're practicing, you've done it a hundred times in different ways, you're going to be more confident. And then the second point was uh, being understood and uh, understanding others. Uh, And I think to be understood and to understand, you need to understand yourself. And in this case, how, what is your 
English like? Uh, what is your English language profile? Where are you strong? You know, where are your weaknesses? Is the pronunciation? Do you make a common grammar mistake constantly? You're always using the past te present tense since when you should say the past uh, tense. We're leaving off articles. Uh, and leaving off our yeah, you <laughs> the common ones that that you hear and that that we make and when we speak foreign languages. So um, yeah, so it's, we really, we assess everyone's English in the beginning in the first session and we share, we write up all, we document in an English language profile, we call it all of these strengths and weaknesses. And that becomes our roadmap to, to teaching them. So we help them, you know, learn to strengthen these weaker areas and also listening to the teacher we assign uh listen you know listen to podcasts tv shows and clubhouse and all of those things to help them to understand um, American English. And then the third one is American culture. So that again goes with uh, listening to podcasts, reading articles with your teacher, discussing them, practicing idioms and practicing small talk. Uh, we always start with a little bit of small talk at every session, you know, just based on current events or what's happening in the student's life and, and whatnot. So that helps a lot. My parents were both immigrants in the late 1940s. And uh, my father had studied English abroad and, and knew it well, but he never studied it here. My mother didn't know a word of English when she arrived in the United States, and she studied it only here. And she had been here. She came first. And when, when they met, my father spoke a very formal, rather stilted English, but he spoke it very correctly with a thick Hungarian accent, I might add, uh, that he never lost. And um, after they were married, they were driving to California as their honeymoon. And uh, they had a new car. They borrowed money from uh, a, a relative. And they had a brand new car and black 1951 Chevy. And they are a little bit outside New York City, which, which is where they were living or where they got married. And the car dies. Oh, no. And my dad said to my mother, and she remembers this very distinctly, said, I hope we don't have a lemon. And my mom cracked up because it was the first time my dad had ever used any kind of slang. An idiom. An idiom, exactly. And it was so unlike him at that time. Obviously, he got good at it, but um, never never lost the Hungarian accent. But he did learn the idiom. Idioms, and uh, yeah, it was very funny. But it, it stayed in her. I mean, again, it was 1951, but that that is part of family lore. Uh, oh, isn't that great? That was yeah. his first use of an idiom in proper context at the exactly, proper moment. Exactly. So much. So much is the timing, and then some of some idioms are old fashioned. So this, this is really. <laughs> and that there was nothing wrong with the car that little gas wouldn't fix. And I oh, actually okay. remember, and I What's remember that car. No, there's nothing wrong with the car. <laughs> 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 gas. <laughs> Needed a different kind of juice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, they, they were fine. And I, I, I remember the cars as a child, so. <laughs> it, it, it lasted, you know, well over ten years. I don't know exactly when it died, but it, that's it a great story. Died, yeah. I can't remember my grandparents, like my Italian grandmother who died at 102, and I'm oh named after, I'm named after her. She's Christina, but I can't remember her ever when she spoke English using an idiom. So it's nice that you have that memory. <laughs> yeah. Again, he 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 was perfectly fluent by the time I have memory, yeah. but at that point. Uh, 
Yeah, it was very unusual for him to use that kind of, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, all right, that's a little digression here. No, Let's go back to what Bspeak does. I, I, you mentioned Zoom, so obviously you work with people remotely. Uh, do you work only with students coming to the U.S. or also students who want to study in the U.S. or the U.K. or Canada or some other English-speaking com- country? Do you work with students still abroad before they enter the United States? Yeah, we definitely focus on North American English, so it could be Canada or the U.S. But um, yeah, we don't we don't um, pretend to be experts in British English. Uh, I'm not that good of an actor to teach, me. <laughs> but um, no, none of our teachers have a UK um, experience or native speaking ability. So um, yeah, and there are so many great schools in in the UK. I think that do probably similar things to what we do. Yeah, so but and definitely Canada and the U.S. Some of our teachers are from Canada as well. I'd say three or four of them actually, and a lot of amazing um, Canadian, especially voice coaches for the accent uh, bit um, there that we've brought on board. So that's exciting. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'd say so. Anybody working with the U.S. Uh, or coming to the U.S. I'd say would be our would be our focus. So we work with definitely a lot of people now who are applying to business school and graduate school that we're we're helping them strengthen their English before they begin or before they. Apply apply. Uh, so they are definitely overseas, right? Uh, although some some may already be living in the U.S., but I'd say definitely the most are in, in Asia, Europe, Latin America. Uh, and then, yeah, we work with professionals. They could be working. You know, we just finished with um, someone in, um, in the Middle East who was uh, working for a U.S. company. So sh- they were dealing on the phone with um, U.S. clients and just wanted to improve their speaking skills and listening skills, also writing, email writing, and all of that. So, yeah, so anybody working in studying in the U.S. or planning to do that. Okay. What advice would you have for people who, let's say, studied English abroad? And let's face it, many students do, did study it abroad before deciding to come here, kind of like my dad, but not they didn't really uh, use it regularly. And uh, they want to come to the U.S. or Canada to, you know, to, to study. How can, how can they ease their transition? Yeah, well, besides studying up, signing up for some B-Speak coaching or some course with us, they could um, definitely uh, just get back into listening, speaking, writing, reading in any, in all of those ways or any ways that are possible for them. Nowadays with technology and the internet, obviously podcasts, you've got, you've got a world of listening right there on your phone where there's a podcast for any interest. Now we have Clubhouse where you can listen and can talk and practice. So I'd say find, find those resources and, and work on what interests you, work on the field that if you're going to go into business, read more of those articles, watch TED Talks, watch videos and all of that. And definitely try to um, get the conversation help with a one-on-one conversation partner. Uh, from the country, you know, let's say from the U.S. or Canada uh, that I'm sure you can find, if not online, in your community, then online. So, yeah. And just follow your interests. I think that's like one of the main motivations for that, that we find uh, that really helps people stick with the learning. It's just like, what do you love to read? What do you love to listen to? Just in, indulge in that first and you're going to build your vocabulary naturally and your skills that way. Right, right, for sure. I noticed that uh, Bspeak also has advice on email etiquette in the U.S. What are some ways that email etiquette may differ in the U.S. from other parts of the world? (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. Of course, now it's like a texting uh, is even more common than email. So a lot of the times with younger <laughs> clients, we have to remind them that emails are not uh, are not texts. It's a little more formal, like a letter. Remember letters? Aerograms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think um, I think in um, lots of more formal cultures, you know, we talk about like um, cultural communication, and uh, there are like low context and high context cultures and. Um, what is that? I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's like, let's say, like in a country like Japan, where historically people have shared the same culture, language, points of references, they they don't need to kind of repeat everything after a meeting, or there are lot, lots of innuendos, lots of kind of suggestive things. Whereas in the US, where people tend to be from different cultures, we, we, we need to let's say after a meet, let's say we have a meeting, we're going to, after the meeting, we'll say, this is what we discussed in the meeting, 1.1.2.3. And then I'm going to send an email to everyone repeating what we went over in the meeting. (laughs) So that's an example of a low context culture. So a country like Japan is high context. A lot of stuff is just understood. A lot of meaning is understood. It doesn't have to be stated literally low context you don't have a lot of things in common so you have to when you communicate with others you tend to be very literal and say this that that you know this is what we're going to do so we always teach our students that especially if they're coming from Asia and that just you might you might have to be more clear in your email why are you writing what are you (laughs) hoping to get out of this state it state it just very clearly and yeah and then also um yeah, and just that we can be a little bit more informal uh, when we're writing emails and the greetings and, and whatnot and have a little humor. It doesn't have to be too 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 formal and dry. But again, so much depends on context. So you, did you meet the person before? Have you met at a recruiting meeting? Is this coming out of the blue? Or, you know, what, do you have someone in common? Put that in the subject line that you were referred by or professor so-and-so or met you at the coffee chat, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, I mean, we work with international. I never thought of it like it, but it is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Good, good to know. Thank you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a great book called The Culture Map, which we love and um, blanking on the author now, but it, it's, um, it's uh, I have it right over across the room, but um, making a note. Yeah, this, this is a great book uh, all about different ways co- people communicate in different cultures. Uh, some give, and it also relates to criticism, like how do you give people feedback? You know, some countries tend to be very, you know, here in the U.S., we tend to sugarcoat. So sometimes people like they really want the constructive feedback, but they'll just say all the good things. And it's just like at the end, put in a little, but there's one area where you could improve, you know, uh, <laughs> is this. It's just like other countries, like I think in the Netherlands, they're famous for just telling it like it is you know (laughs) or in in France I think I think the author of this book she lives in France for a period and her son goes to school there she's like the teachers are always just saying what he does poorly you know need to improve on this or spelling or accent and um, the the child actually says like when he gets praise it's just like oh I did really well mama you know (laughs) and so he actually learns to to enjoy that it's not like you get a trophy for losing the basketball game (laughs) 
You get trophy for losing by the least, right? <laughs> exactly. Come on, that's that's the American way. So the culture map is really great. I, I noticed that certain certain cultures seem to be more loquacious than than others. Definitely, yeah, yeah Americans yes. and uh, yeah. versus yeah the um, you know definitely the Chinese clients that we work with are um, more more quiet and they're more quiet also in the in the business school classroom the the professors share with us because it's not as common to be like me 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 this is my idea and I'm going to raise my hand I think especially in business school there's that that uh, kind of um, you know that salesy communication style that you want to get ahead and speak and and that is definitely different from um the the educational approach and, and, and where there's more respect for the professor and your other classmates it's like so like we have to teach them that no you won't the teachers want to hear your your point Especially of view <laughs> case, i mean if you were if you started out with darden which is a case method school yeah. i mean you have to share your opinion yeah. of, of that case or yeah, you're, you're also, your grade will suffer, but you want, so that's a, yeah, that's definitely the case method schools um, definitely utilize B-Speak, I'd say the most. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Now you, you also have a course and you referred to earlier in the call, the teaching small talk and networking. Yeah. Again, what are some of the differences in the U.S. and other places, let's say, with small talk? I mean, we always start talking about the weather all the time, especially in Los Angeles where the weather never changes. But anyways, where... <laughs> That's right. I'm looking in Los Angeles. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what are some differences with small talk in other parts of the world? Yeah, I'd say in, um, in Asia, again, which is the most extremely different, um, I would say, culturally uh, from, from the U.S., uh, the students always tell us that they they never make small talk uh, in business in a business context. You know, yeah. maybe only, only with their good friends and family, and that's that's why they always want to practice small talk with with their coaches, um, understandably. And they're yeah, they're just not sure of the register and how you know they're afraid to be too informal and friendly, and they're not sure of the topics. So it seems strange for us that you'd have to um, practice like what are the acceptable topics the weather current events um not what are you doing today what do you what COVID, did you have for breakfast? no 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 religion no religion <laughs> i mean covid covid initially was like well definitely part of the small because it's just yeah it's everywhere right you know so but um yeah so we we go over like what's appropriate what isn't and because for networking and even for admissions interviews because we work with so many admissions departments at mm -hmm. business schools and and um they share their you know their experiences and what they're looking for in an interview with us so that we can help people get ready uh, for that for those interviews but um, often the students are trying to kind of repeat their whole resume and the you know in the 20 minutes of the and it's like no they already have your resume they're trying to get a sense of how you'll how you are as a person what's your personality how will you be in the classroom how will you fit in with the business the culture of the school and um so they're also trying to get a sense talk. of yes of fluency <laughs> fluency is another oh. another Sure. Yeah. 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 And if they can't understand you, of course, yeah, they, they, you might have a harder time getting in or you'll be waitlisted or, or you might have to go back and, you know, improve your English and try again. So that's, that's obviously where we come in, in handy. And, and what about you? You also have a class on, on networking. 
is networking an American thing or, or is it something that's just done differently <laughs> in different places? Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if we have, we don't really have like a, a an online class for that, but we work on, I'd say, you know, networking skills or, or just like general small talk and communication. And so we don't teach net, networking, but we help them develop the comfort and the ease in, in their communication skills and style that will make networking easier. Um, but I think the schools that we work with have excellent career career development career offices that and have help um with the with with that as well so we could just we just support that more in the english and american culture side okay and you know we've worked with many 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 international applicants and students and i think we've you know my staff and i've gotten pretty good at dealing with with accents of all kinds, all kinds, not just the Hungarian and Polish that I was raised with, but, um, you know, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, all kinds of European, Middle Eastern, you know, we definitely South, South American, we, we hear it all. And sometimes it can be extremely difficult to understand a person. Oh, yes, I know. Um, and do you deal with accent reduction? I have a yeah. tips for accent reduction. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely find that many of our of our clients and students say that people are their classmates and their professors or their colleagues are having a hard time understanding them. And um, I always do a free consultation on Zoom, you know, for Bespeak. So I can often tell because I'll be chatting with with the individual and it's just like, could you repeat that or I never make them you know I never judge it's just like you know I'll just write a note of of the areas which I had trouble understanding or the pace um and so we find that especially a lot of a lot of people from India they're fluent in English and often were educated in English and bilingual yet they speak at a very quick pace and with totally different um intonation and you know rhythm of with their language so it makes it very hard for the American native ear to to pick pick up the meaning so um so yes we definitely deal with accent softening uh and uh pronunciation so we have a special team of about five um voice and speech experts a lot of really? them train actors uh and a lot of them yeah and so we we pull them in for for this special work that we do with our clients um as needed yeah but uh it has to do how you shape shape your mouth right yeah yeah definitely and we also find that a lot has to do with listening like if you can't hear specific sounds you can't make them yourself which um i've learned you know i've learned it just as a language student i have to hear uh the italian or the spanish um in order to can you say that again okay then repeat listen repeat listen repeat but it's always it's not repeat listen it's listen repeat so um, a lot has to do with you know the recognizing the sound in your ear before you can make it yourself so that's the kind of work that our our um, voice or accent coaches do so you really have specialists that work with individual students in different areas whatever whatever they need right yeah i'd say our main bespeak coaches can probably do everything you know from the grammar and a little bit of pronunciation but if someone has uh, comes to us and 
primarily wants to work on their public speaking and pronunciation and pace and intonation. Then we have this team of voice and speech who also do experts who also do public speaking. And that could be anything from your elevator pitch to your interview to presentations. So it, it kind of, it involves all of that public, public speaking or acting, if you will, <laughs> type of technique uh, that's very useful. Yeah. So most of our conversation has related to non-U.S. residents want to come to the U.S. and speak English uh, right. more, more effectively. But I'd like to turn the, the tables. Okay. Years, ago, years ago, we had a guest over for dinner, and I don't remember what the context was, but she said something along the following lines. She asked the people at the table, uh, what do you call somebody who speaks three languages? <laughs> Trilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks one language? American. American. <laughs> That's the best. Of the best. <laughs> and there is a lot of truth to that. Oh my gosh. Yes. All right. So what are some of the challenges that Americans face in learning to speak another language? Are oh. they different than, let's say, Europeans? <laughs> I love this question. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, of course, it's changing a lot, luckily, with all the influx of different cultures and language groups um, to our country, you know, since, I don't know, the past 30 years, especially 30, 40 years um, in my adult lifetime. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say it's definitely not... Um, a cognitive challenge. We're not any different in our in our ability or our you know our anatomy or our cognitive yeah. ability to, than Europeans. So as you say, it's more of a cultural thing, and the, the fact that we've historically been this culture of a monolingual American culture. So and it's just so we don't have now we have the ability where you walk around the streets of New York or even. I go to you know the supermarket in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I live, and I might hear three or four languages. Of course, I go up and <laughs> ask them where they're from, uh, try to practice if I speak it. But um, yeah, so even my small town is very diverse in terms of the language. We have um, also many, we're a refugee town, so we have the um, IRC here. We're getting a lot of Afghans um, in the next few months um, coming, Afghans to resettle here. So you know, a lot of um, Dari and Pashto speakers. Uh, in any case, yeah, but so I would say that the challenge is more to just historically, we have been monolingual and we haven't had a chance to practice. Like, if you're, let's say, the Germans or the Dutch are, are notorious linguists for speaking English better than many Americans, right? Because, you know, they value language learning. They live in Europe. So, if you want to go across the border, okay. you're going to have to speak. Italian or French or, you know, Spanish. So, um, but at, at, in their schools, they really stressed, uh, at least in countries like Germany and the Netherlands, uh, learning multiple languages. And as I said, here, we, we tend to just do it um, maybe in high school and college and, and, that, and that's it, not as adult learners. So I love getting a lot of our students are in their 60s and 70s learning a language for the first time or brushing up on a language uh, that they studied as um, in college. And I, I just love that. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people in healthcare or in nonprofit work, just I want to be able to communicate with our clients, even here in Virginia, wherever they work or speaking Spanish or Dari. So that's, right. that's just the beauty of, of our uh, melting pot culture that's just slowly becoming, <laughs> helping us become multilingual, I think. 
I always wondered if part of the reason I've mentioned my parents several times, they're both immigrants. My mother speaks four languages. My father spoke seven. Um, yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. And even the year before he passed away, he, he read books in English, Hungarian, German, and Russian. Oh I mean, like goodness. whole books. And he was already in his eighties at the time. Yeah. So, but, and he did not have a college education at neither of them. Um, but they were from, in one case, the Hungarian-speaking portion of Czechoslovakia, you know, pre between the World War One and World War Two, right? And in the other case, Poland. So um, I, I, I kind of always assume that part of the reason that Americans tended to be monolingual was because the United States was so big, and of course you have not, you know, Canada is also English-speaking on the northern border. Yes, Mexico is Spanish-speaking. Um, but you had such a large geographic area where English was the main language or only language. I mean, right. that there wasn't the need, there wasn't the drive to learn a second language as there is in many places in Europe, where you have fairly small areas that speak, you know, Flemish or, or you know, a specific language or Dutch or, or Danish or any of those languages. And uh, so there was more of a push to learn more than one language. Definitely. And historically, as is coming to the light now with um, the indigenous you know, Native American population that were forced to learn English and stop, they were punished for speaking their tribal languages. Mm -hmm. um, so I think also institutionally and as, a, you know, our government sure. has kind of has forced people, only English is good. If you want to be American, That's you know, English. speak English. And my mom was raised, of course, by her Italian immigrant parents speaking the dialect of Gaeta, which is between Rome and Naples and Southern okay. Italy. And um, it's the, you know, typical, if you hear my grandmother speak in Christina, you know, that's the cadence of the typical mm -hmm. Italian immigrant uh, on, on, you know, in, me in the media, let's say, but they really spoke that way. And in other words, it, but it wasn't proper standard educated Italian. Um, uh, but regardless, my, my mom never spoke Italian to us. She didn't want us really? to learn dialect. So we would hear our grandparents speaking it, but we didn't really learn it. I, we were around it. But I had to learn in, in college. I had to learn Italian as an adult in college. Really? So because my mom wanted us to be American. She didn't, you know, she hmm. was embarrassed of her, um, her, of her, of speaking Italian. In fact, when I, I actually married an Italian uh, and my husband's Italian from, you know, Tuscany, which is where the standard Italian mm -hmm. uh, grew out of writers like Dante mm -hmm. and Boccaccio. Uh, and so it's very proper Italian. So when I got married, my mom was communicating with a lot of my, my, my husband's family, my in-laws, and I uh, was very embarrassed to speak her, her dialect Italian. So she, you know, cover her mouth. Oh, really? Insalata. Yeah. Instead of saying insalata, she'd be insalata. She'd uh -huh. be like, oh, does that sound bad, Christina? And I'd be like, no, mom, it's great. Just speak. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, so she was raised thinking, you know, English is good. If I want my family to be American, you know, I'm not going to really say Italian on my <laughs> that we, we want to fit in so um hopefully that's that's changing I think that's very much changing you know, it's not changing 
educationally, you know, we work with some children as well here and uh, um, the parents are always often frustrated by their, the local schools in, in at least in our area, because so many of them minimize uh, language education, especially in elementary school. So if you don't get into maybe a bilingual Spanish English program, which they have a few of those, but they're very hard to get into, then you just have to, you know, the kids have to wait till late middle school or high school to start learning and, and so, yeah that's surprising that to yeah. me yeah if I, were, if I were younger I would start <laughs> start some kind of uh, language elementary school that's all about learning languages and cultures um private you know kind of my own school but um yeah that that's next project, next project. Right? maybe my daughter will do that <laughs> <laughs> right right it's, it's, what what would you have liked me to ask you? <laughs> well, I loved your I loved all of your questions and uh, the last one, especially where we could share kind of our own personal uh, right we'll back, upbringing. Yeah. But um, I think there would be two things. One would be like uh, one what language would you know what language would I love to learn and why? And another one would be like how is what we do at Speak and Be Speak definitely speak um, different from um, Babel and Duolingo and those types. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> Answer both of them, please. Okay. <laughs> You're making my job very easy. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, so I would love to, well, I, I, I speak Italian and Spanish so and, and, and French as well. I would love to become more fluent in Spanish. First of all, I was just uh, listening to a clubhouse like Spanish um, conversation before we, we got on. And uh, so develop more fluency in Spanish. Um, and uh, I really want to learn Arabic, you know. Really? I, find it's a beautiful language and culture. I love the, the history and the poetry. And, you know, there are just a lot of people who are resettling here um, from Syria and other countries that sure. I just find, um, and they are much maligned in, in some areas, <laughs> in some ways, so that I, I want to show them that even if I can just say some basic things uh, to them when I meet them <laughs> here, here in my town, I, I think it would, it would be a nice gesture. So Arabic would be the language I want to learn next. Um, and uh, yeah, so my second question, how are a lot of people will. How, did, how does B speak and, and speak? <laughs> Babel is a little bit um, more conversation focused, but it is. So those are apps and they're great for supplementary practice, but you, you know, you can do, do a lingo while you're, you know, waiting in, in a waiting room for your doctor's appointment or your COVID test or whatever. And, uh, and you might build vocabulary and your child will learn to say the colors, but they won't actually learn how to speak the language. So we, you know, um, uh, I could develop an app or something, but for speak, but I don't really see the benefit of that. So what what we and other schools like us do that have human teachers um, teaching either small groups or one on one do is we really <laughs> teach you the language and we teach you how to converse and we we incorporate your interests your your skills your weaknesses your goals into the process and um, also incorporate lots of culture to make it interesting and and relevant so it's not just um, some colors you can learn on your phone and, and numbers that's that has nothing to do with the uh, 
culture and, and really the human human aspect of of language that that's what what we what we really believe in so well it seems like you're customized much much more i mean it's it's you know like reading a book versus going to a tutor exactly exactly yeah yeah exactly but do you also so you also have you have individual tutoring but you also have small group instruction yeah, we focus on the one-on-one, but here in Charlottesville is the only place we do the groups. <laughs> and then, um, well, as well as online groups, so customized yes. groups. So um, sometimes we'll we'll get a group from a business school that we're working with and we can do a workshop for them. Um, however, especially for the B-Speak, we find that <laughs> people are so different uh, and they're also shy to make mistakes. We, I talked about the trust, circle of trust that we create in our sessions mm-hmm. and they, they won't want to make mistakes in front of their colleagues or classmates so yeah so but we do have group um spanish italian french just here in charlottesville at our our center where where i'm joining you from today (laughs) yeah right that's great anyway christina i want to thank you so much for for joining me today thank you for your answers thank you for your questions at the end they were excellent uh this (laughs) has been just delightful where can listeners find you and your courses online learn more about uh speak and speak speak language centers sure well thank you so much linda um i've loved this conversation and i look forward to our next even if it's not hopefully it won't be recorded we can just chat okay um and yeah so i'll make it easy for our listeners speaklanguagecenter.com is where you can find information about all of our foreign language programs online of course and um, in person in virginia and um bespeak english English.com is our one-on-one English coaching program for professionals, business school students, and applicants. And other grad school students also? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> any grad school, st- yeah, any any area of, of study, of course, yeah. Okay, we, it's called B-Speak, so I always think business you, you started with business school, but I think you have to... People in STEM fields, engineering. I mean, anyone really. Even we have uh, an architect. We have just all. We we help people even with the TOEFL. So really, could be, you could be going into any any area. Um, English Great. is English, and we do customize. So some of our online materials are more geared towards like the business context. But uh, I would say eighty uh, percent of it is for anybody. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you very much. We're going to include links in the show notes at exhibit.com slash 446 to Bespeak and to the Speak Language Center. Listener, I want to thank you too for joining Dr. Christina Ball and me for our 446 episode. And a quick reminder, master the paradox at the heart of graduate admissions by downloading your free copy of Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. Grab your copy at accepted.com slash F-I-S-O. Thanks again for coming. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>